Hey everyone, welcome to the Good Lion Theology class. This is the part of our show where we help you go deeper in your faith through both the study of God and through edifying discussions with our students. In today's episode, you're going to hear part two of our Advancing the Kingdom of God class. After the lesson, I'll be joined by our students for a discussion. Today's students are Julianne Foster, Tim Cass, Zach Owens, and Kayla Reed. Today's lesson is titled, The Kingdom Advances in Our Hearts, Not Our Self-Interests. You're listening to the Good Lion Theology class. So we want the kingdom of Jesus to come. We want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like we want to see the kingdom fly off of the pages of scripture and into our present reality, right? But how do we get there? What does that look like? That's what we're going to get into in this lesson. So my first point for you today is... As we learn how to advance the kingdom of God, we need to realize that the kingdom of God advances in and through our hearts and not our self-interests. How you think affects how you live um, a lot more than even what you say. Uh, for instance, like I can say as much as I want to, I'm in shape. I have muscles. I have abs. I have a six pack. I can say those things, but uh, I mean, look at me. <laughs> those things aren't true. Uh, and in the same way, if we say, I love Jesus, I love his kingdom, I want to follow him, but then we don't live for his kingdom and instead we live for the American dream or the British dream or Canadian dream or wherever you live. If what we're thinking is, I want to live for basically here and now stuff, money, possessions, success, if that's what's in our hearts, that's what our actions are going to be. No matter what our words are, no matter how much we talk about wanting to live for God's kingdom, our actions are going to reflect our heart. And this is why Jesus first always targets our hearts. If we really believe that Jesus is king, that changes everything. Once the kingdom is established in your heart, then it makes changes in your life and your community and your sphere of influence. I want to take a minute to talk about that classic Tim Burton movie, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. I, I hope you've seen it. I wasn't allowed to watch it as a kid because I was a Christian. I mean, I, I, I still am a Christian. But uh, in the 90s, Christian parents were just like, uh, that's a skeleton. That's bad. Even though, I mean, I went to a church called Calvary Chapel. Uh, and Calvary in the Bible was known as the place of the skull. So figure that one out, mom and dad. Anyway, I feel like in the 90s, you know, the devil was just hiding behind every VHS tape. But anyway, my parents didn't let me watch it. And then I became an adult and I was like, you know what? I'm going to make my own decision. I'm going to I'm gonna see this movie. I'm going to see what it's about. And so I watched it and uh, I'm pleased to report I did not become a Satanist. So, uh... There we go. So the movie is about this dancing and singing skeleton named Jack, Jack Skellington, who lives in Halloween Town. And then he stumbles in a hole in the woods and falls into Christmas Town. And when he shows up in Christmas Town, it blows his mind because it's unlike anything he's ever seen. It's like, what is 
this. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What is all of this amazing stuff? What is snow? What is presents? What is giving and singing and carols? Like, what? what is Christmas? It's really interesting because... As he stumbles into Christmas Town, it's basically this world where even though it's not Christmas yet, you wouldn't know it because just by looking at Christmas Town, you'd be like, oh, it's it's Christmas everywhere. There's lights, there's snow, there's presents, there's trees, there's people singing Christmas carols. And so people are talking about Christmas and their thoughts are set on Christmas. And so therefore their actions revolve around Christmas. And so they're making toys and they're getting ready for Christmas. And I just thought, like, what an amazing, weird little picture hidden in this Tim Burton movie of the kingdom, because you see, for us as Christians, even though we're not, we're not there, right? We're not, we're not in heaven. We're not in the new heaven and earth. Jesus hasn't fully returned yet. However, we're called to live that way. Everything is about the kingdom. Our thoughts, our actions, our words, our songs, everything should be focused. Even though we're not fully there yet, we should live into the reality that the kingdom is here because the king is here. He's with us. He's in our hearts. Too often we buy into this lie that if we do this, we'll be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. But I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most of the next. Love that. Jesus advances his kingdom through the hearts and the actions of his believers. And if you want to know about the heart of the kingdom, the heart that leads to the actions of the kingdom, look no further than the Sermon on the Mount. Seriously, if you have not read through the Sermon on the Mount and really just like sat down and absorbed it, get into it today. Seriously, like stop the video, go read the Sermon on the Mount, pray about the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most important pieces of the New Testament. Some scholars have deemed it Jesus's kingdom manifesto. It's basically Jesus as king talking to his subjects saying, this is how you live under my kingdom rule. Jesus tells us what the kingdom looks like. He actually gives us a glimpse into what kingdom people are like. And one of the core themes is death to selfishness, death to our agenda, death to what we want, and life to the kingdom, to what Jesus wants for our lives and for the world. It's one of his main messages. And chapter five of Matthew, Jesus says to the people during the sermon, he says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, Hey, if you feel like it, you can be the light or, you know, if it's not too inconvenient for you, if not, you know, don't worry about it. Forget I said anything, but you know, I'd, I'd kind of love for you to be the light, but eh, you know, it's up to you. No, he says, you are the light. He says, you are the salt of the world. And he talks about the law of God, right? Not just the 10 commandments. He's talking about the whole of scripture, the whole counsel of God. And in that, he talks about how God's heart is so important that if you ignore it or if you leave parts of it out that you don't like, you're actually called least in the kingdom of God. So essentially what he's saying is it is so important that you absorb. If you want to be a kingdom person, you have to absorb the law and the heart and the message of God. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us this radical new way of thinking, this radical way of holding our heart posture. Jesus starts addressing sin, but not just the effects of sin, the outwork of sin. He gets to the root of sin, the heart of it. Jesus says, you know, you've heard don't murder, 
but in my kingdom you don't even hate. And the people hearing this are thinking, oh man, Jesus, if I'm not allowed to kill my enemy, at least let me hate them. I've just, I've got to have my hate. But Jesus says, no, hate is the poison that leads to murder. Citizens of my kingdom neither kill nor hate. He starts speaking about adultery. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, you don't even lust. And I'm sure the men in the audience at that time were thinking like, oh man, you know, I mean, as long as I don't cheat on my wife, what's what's a little bit of lust, Jesus? What's a second glance? Or in our context, it's, you know, what's a little bit of stuff on the internet, on the side? But Jesus says, listen, in my kingdom, women are not sexual objects. They are precious loved and valued. Not only do you as a kingdom man, not only do you not commit adultery, you don't even lust. That's what a kingdom person looks like. And so it's so, so radical. He is attacking the corruption in our heart. He's like a surgeon looking at our heart saying, if you don't let me amputate the poison inside, you're going to die. If you want to be a kingdom person, you have to go to the heart. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say that's worldly thinking. My kingdom is coming and one day I'm going to judge evil. But before I do, we're on a rescue mission and it's dangerous. But I died so that you don't have to. It's like we have this bulletproof soul. And yes, we fight. We fight battles, but our weapon is love and truth. And so Jesus gives us this ethic of turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, actually loving your enemies, which is just insanity to the world. Pray for those who persecute you. It's radical because the world says kill or be killed. But Jesus says, no, that, that's not what I call you to do. The mission of your life is to preach the gospel. The question is, do we really think that Jesus is Lord and King? J.I. Packer said this, God's kingdom is not only a place, but it's a relationship. It exists wherever people enthrone Jesus as Lord of their lives. So, so good. And then I love this statement by A.W. Tozer. I heard this once and it just blew my mind. Tozer says, in every heart, there is a cross and a throne. And Jesus can never truly be on the throne of your heart until you get off the throne and place your flesh on the cross. You have to die to yourself. If he is going to be king of your heart, you must die to yourself. All right, Zach, why don't we just jump right into it, man? Give us, give us your question. Yeah, absolutely. So towards the end of the video, you really hammered on the point that we need to die to ourselves. You know, that, that's how that's how Christ works in our hearts. That's how he uses us to advance his kingdom is we need to die to ourselves. And, you know, that's I, I've heard that said elsewhere. I think it's John Calvin, maybe, who says, like, the, the sum of the Christian life is the, the denial of yourself. And mm-hmm. so but my question is, I mean, what does that actually mean? Like, what does that look like? H- how do I die to myself? Because that's easy to say. And I can kind of get the general concept of practically day to day. What does that look like? Yeah, that's really good. That is really a good question because it's like getting at the heart of Christianese. We have these phrases that we say because either they're in the Bible or because we just grew up as Christians with our parents saying them. So die to yourself. What do we mean by that? When we look at Jesus, he actually died, literally. Like he sacrificed himself for us. He went to the cross and laid down his life. And then he calls all of us to follow his example and his model. For a lot of us, especially here in the West, like we're not going to get crucified <laughs> for our faith. You know, somebody might give us a dirty look or 
post something mean about us on social media, but yeah, we're not going to get crucified. So what does dying to yourself look like? It looks like doing what Jesus did and it's a sacrifice. You sacrifice yourself for the kingdom of God. What does that look like? It can look like a lot of different things. Like I'll just fire off, I'll fire off a bunch of examples and hopefully that'll like paint a picture. So dying to yourself in a small way for me looks like helping my wife do the dishes. I hate doing the dishes. It's terrible and my hands get all dry and crackly. I don't like it. But she works really, really hard and makes amazing food all the time. And so to love and serve her in any way, that's dying to yourself. You know, to to change a dirty diaper for a kid is dying to yourself, something I'll be dealing with shortly. Those are small ways. What are bigger ways? My church used to have an outreach program where they did renovations for people's yards and yard work, like widows and people who were sick, they'd go to their house and they'd help them. No one wants to get up at 7 a.m. on a Saturday to do that, but it's dying to yourself. It's, it's sacrifice. And, you know, sacrifice is something that Jesus calls us to. And it's not just like these big sacrifices, like, oh, I've got to sell everything and, and move to Nepal or something like that. It, it, I mean, yeah, it can be that if that's what God calls you to do. But really, to, to die to yourself, it, it has to do with just continually sacrificing for God in big and small ways. I mean, even like going back to basics with your relationship with the Lord, just spending time with God. Yeah, that's a sacrifice. Like we all have things we'd rather be doing, uh, Netflix or just, you know, hobbies or whatever. But to spend time with God in his word, to spend time in prayer, which is honestly my struggle to, to stop doing things so much and to actually take time to pray, it's dying to what you want But that goes to like the whole point of what the the whole lesson was about. If we want God's kingdom to be built, we have to allow him to like plant his flag in our heart. And so all of our self-interest, all of our agendas for our life have to take the back seat. And what has to take the front seat is, man, I want what God wants. What does that look like in the big picture? And what does that look like right now in this moment? And, and hence, you know, washing the dishes, uh, washing the dishes is building God's kingdom. I think <laughs> if you're doing it for the right motives. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. Julianne, you had one. Let's go to you. What's, what's, uh, what's your question? Yeah. I think my question actually plays off a kind of what Zach's talking about, but like the whole talk of, of dying to yourself and, and doing small acts such as dishes for your wife and such <laughs> like overthinking that, or like for people who do overthink that, uh, I personally will feel guilt if I want to like take time for myself or like a vacation and, and, or different things in life. And so it's, it's like, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not looking for that like monk lifestyle where you take it super seriously. You can never have anything pleasurable or anything fun. I know God wants us to have a balance and take care of ourselves, but I think just like, like, like what would a balance look like desiring to live out the kingdom and, and die to yourself, but also not go too far. I guess. Right. Yeah. If you've gotten to the point where you've locked yourself in a tower and you're just not interacting with society because you're too busy praying and reading the Bible, it's, it's crossing into, you know, that, that so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good category. But yeah, it's definitely a struggle because a lot of us can feel guilty with taking time for ourselves. I personally struggle with that. I'm a doer. 
I like to produce things. I like to make things that benefit other people that help people. So sometimes my wife is like, why don't you just play video games? You love video games. And I'm like, yeah, but I could be editing a podcast or writing a script for something or, or studying and researching. And so you know, I, I think Jesus, it's interesting because he calls us to like this great experience of following him, being a part of the kingdom, being a part of his mission. But then he also says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He he actually says, come to me all who are weary and I will refresh you. I want you to learn the rhythms of renewal and all of this stuff. So we see in Jesus, like he has that balance. Like it's crazy because he's like always about his father's work, Right. But then what happens like during that crazy storm, he's like sleeping on the boat and the disciples are like, we're literally going to die, Jesus, if you do not save us right now. And Jesus is like, I've got this under control. So Jesus rests, like even during storms, Jesus rests. Jesus takes time to go into the wilderness and to pray and to be with his father. So I think I think the thing I always personally have to come to is I want to be productive for the kingdom. I want to do things for the kingdom but not everything that I want to do for the kingdom is something that God has called me to. And so sometimes I just get like, I get an idea and I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do, but I haven't even taken the time to pray about whether or not I should do it. And this has happened to me where I've started to do some ministry thing. And then a month later, God's like, I never told you to do that. Like, thank you. Like, it's, it's cool that you had that idea, but I actually would, it would be much more beneficial to the kingdom if you rested a little bit more, if you allowed yourself to get filled with my spirit so then you can pour out more. Because otherwise we're just running on fumes, which is something I've done many times in my ministry life. Even when I was your youth pastor, Julianne, there were times where I was really spiritually healthy. And then there were times where I was just like running on fumes and not spending as much time with the Lord as I should have. And that's been a lesson I've had to continually learn my entire life is like we need to strike that balance. And so I don't have like a perfect answer on that, but hope, hopefully that makes somewhat sense and is encouraging, like, like continue through your life to seek that balance. One of the things I got from what you were saying, Aaron, was uh, we can kind of think of advancing the kingdom and our, our work for the kingdom almost like a to-do list. Like we think of it in really objective terms, like tasks that we're completing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But what I got from what you were saying is that a lot of it has to do with our, our mindset, how, mm. how we actually go about every aspect of life. And I, I believe you actually said this in the video that how you think influences how you live. Mm. So a lot of this is about cultivating the right mindset, that kingdom mindset, you know, seek first uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's something that we, we need to be striving for in every aspect of life. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, man, that. That, that gets me excited. Oh, sorry. Did, were you, were you still gone? No, I was just going to say, so, you know, whether it were, you know, we're doing something say we're leading a youth group study, you know, we're doing mm. that for the kingdom of God, but say we're, we're resting, you know, we're listening to some worship music. We're just spending some time in quiet prayer, or we're, we're just spending time with our family. We're eating a, a meal with our family, all those things. We're still doing that with that kingdom mindset, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, like that gets me really excited that you you tapped into that because that's absolutely something that I mean, I could I could have done a whole sermon on that concept of like advancing the kingdom. It starts with the heart posture. Like it's all about the heart. So think back to like growing up in church 
what were you told by people like me, youth pastors and pastors and your parents? It was like, read your Bible and pray every day, right? Like that was kind of the thing. I grew up with this idea. No one gave it to me. It was just like, I, I think no one explained it good enough, I guess is what it is. Like I had great parents, great pastors, great people watching over me. But I got this impression that the reason I read my Bible and prayed every day was God would be disappointed at me if I didn't. Like it was like, I, I've got to do this because this is religion. And if I don't do it, then I'm not doing the right thing. And if you can just like take that mindset and just chuck it out the window and replace it with, I read my Bible, I pray because I am trying to align my heart posture with who God is, what he's done, what his mission is for the world, what he's doing, what he wants me to be a part of. It's like, it's like the difference between like, you know, being a part of the Star Wars world and just being off on some planet by yourself, looking off into the stars or joining the Rebel Alliance. Like if you're a part of the Rebel Alliance, like you're listening to the commands, you're, you're learning what, you know, Luke and Leia and all those people, like what their vision is for the universe and defeating the empire and all that stuff. That's why we read our Bible and pray. And so for me, it's like, yeah, like if I, if I don't read my Bible in a day, I'm not like, oh, God's mad at me. I'm just like, oh, like that's a bummer for me that I missed out on connecting with God's heart. But you know what? Tomorrow I have that opportunity and I can, I can jump into it. So yeah, man, I, I, that gets me excited. That, that's some good commentary, Zach. Thank you. I can connect with that because I think something I've been learning or attempting to learn and and really replace in my mindset is the idea of associating prayer with rest because mm. growing up, reading my Bible and prayer was such like a chore and, and, and exactly how you were describing. And so even prayer, I felt super anxious. Like, am I saying the right things? Am I focusing on myself too much? Am I, am mm. I praying for the, for all the people I need to be praying for? And, and I would feel super guilty if I would forget someone I told I would pray for them and I'd forget to pray for them. And so it's like I've in school, we've been learning a lot about prayer, associating that with rest. And, mm. and it's kind of like someone you, you trust, you can confide in and you can spend quality time with them and just talk with them. Yeah. It's, it's trying to translate that into prayer, just, just resting in God's presence and, and all that. And I, and you highlighted that night. That was something that, that I just wanted to mention again, cause that's been helping me a lot. Mm. That's awesome. Julianne. I love that. And yeah, I, I agree. Prayer is a huge part of rest. It's like that idea of, you know, that disciple that Jesus loved, John, who had that reputation, like at the at the table of uh, the Last Supper, he's seen resting his head on Jesus's chest. He has that close relationship with him. And I'm sure there was just so many like great talks those two had. And in the, in the moments that they talked, it's not like John was like accomplishing anything crazy or, you know, he wasn't preaching to huge crowds of people. He was just talking to Jesus. But in those conversations, he was getting so much of what he needed. And, 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 and not only that, but he was giving to Jesus. He wasn't just getting from Jesus, but he was giving to Jesus his time and his attention. And, and so to me, like that, that's a huge part of what it means to be a Christian and that's something I've had to learn. Prayer is an area I'm continually trying to grow in because like I said, I'm a doer much more than I am a prayer, a prayer. Pra yeah, prayer. But I am finding that like if I try to do without praying, I'm probably going to do something that's not in line with God's heart and intention. So it's like, 
if, if I pray first, I'm connected with him. Like we're on the same page. He's speaking to me. He's leading me. It's a huge part of what it means to be in a relationship is just to talk to one another. So yeah, it's important. One thing, one thing I want to go into really quick is just the idea of relaxation. Rest is holy. Like relaxation is holy. Just really quick. Like just don't have categories in your mind. This is how I grew up. Again, it's not my parents' fault. It's just a product of growing up in the church. I had categories where it was like church, missions trips, worship services, praying, reading my Bible. When I do these things, God is really, really, really happy with me. And then it was like relaxing, watching a movie, reading a, reading a comic book, reading a book, going for a walk, you know, playing sports or whatever. That's just life. That's just human stuff that humans do. Here's the thing. Like, let's say you go swim in the ocean. Who made the ocean? God. Why did he make it? (laughs) For you to enjoy, like to display his glory. Like he intended people to swim in it, right? (laughs) Like you go, you know, with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you go and watch a sunset together. God's stoked about that. It, even if you didn't pray, (laughs) even if you didn't like pull out your phone and listen to worship music, it's great to do those things. You should do those things. But like the like, we have the sacred secular divide in our mind and so much of what we consider to be secular like the world is actually a part of the good world that God created so just something to consider Timothy how about you man any anything from you halfway through the video uh, you're talking about um, like amputating the poison inside kind of like the root of some sinful issues like with context with like figuring out like how to act while like advancing the kingdom of God and stuff I guess with like core innate sinful human nature, things like lust, hate, envy, and like pride, like stuff like that. Like how do we cut those like, cut those out of our lives more and more in like a practical way? Because they're really powerful influences and not easy to just turn off per se, I guess. Hmm. I guess that's kind of what amputating flies in a way. So just to like cut those out less and less, um, I guess how would you respond to that perhaps? So your question primarily is how can we cut out the roots of those sins out of our lives? Yeah, that's a good question. I think acknowledging that the root is the problem is the first step because so often we only treat symptoms and we don't treat the underlying disease. And so when it comes to sin, we need to look at like, just all of us are struggling with sin in some way. We all should take stock of our life and our sin and, and most of us have sins we can think of where it's like, man, I really want to improve in this area. Like, I really want to stop doing this sin. I, I want to be more kind or I want to be less impatient or I want to deal with lust or I want to deal with my anger or bitterness. But all of those things have a root. So we need to look at what the root is. And then we need to go to Jesus with the root of that. Like, we need to say, like, you know, like, we may not be murdering, but what if we're hating somebody? Like that, it's crazy because like, I just read a story in the news the other day of like a guy who murdered somebody and reading the information about it. It wasn't like he was some drunk, like some crazy person on drugs, on meth, going out and stabbing somebody. Everybody in the story was like, he was the nicest person. Like, I don't understand how he got to the point where he did this, but the story went, he just had a grudge against this other guy and it built and it built and it built and it literally did what Jesus said and manifested in murder. So when it comes to the root confession is a huge part of it. Like for instance, like 
Don't wait until you've murdered someone to confess your sin. If you're struggling with bitterness, go to somebody. Go, go to somebody in your life who's a spiritual figure, a spiritual authority, or just another follower in Christ, just somebody you can relate to who's a peer, and confess your sin and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. That's the first step, like letting someone else know about it, putting it on the table and saying, you know, to Jesus and to your friend or your mentor or whatever, this is something I'm dealing with. This is the root. I don't want to see this grow. Or maybe you've started to see it sprout in some ways. And there's some, you know, some weeds that have sprouted from that. Like, don't just pull the weeds and not get the roots. It'll keep growing. So I feel like I'm speaking a lot in metaphors. So I don't know if that's helpful, but I, I feel like the most important thing I could say about that is the confession side of it is start by letting somebody know you're dealing with it. Because the reality is we don't, like to be honest about our underlying sin issues. Too many of us wait until our sin has grown to the point that it's out of control and then we ask for help. We don't like to admit that we have a problem with anger or with lust or whatever. Like we don't like to admit those things are there. But the reality is for so many of us, it's just a part of our fallen nature. We all struggle with these things to some extent. So it shouldn't be a struggle for us to be honest about it and just admit it to one another. So... I think that would be the start of it is uh, just let somebody know what you're dealing with. Anyone else uh, have anything to add on that? I'll build off your analogy, Aaron, <laughs> that garden analogy. And you can kind of think of you're, you're pulling out these, you know, these wheat from your life. But if you've got this, now you've just got this bare, this barren, empty soil. And if you really want to keep those, those weeds from growing back, what do you need to do? Now you need to plant good things. Right. So looking at that, that kingdom mindset, we need to be filling our minds with, with good things, with the things of the kingdom of God, the things of the spirit. And if we're filling ourselves, our minds, our hearts with those good things, those good desires, those good thoughts, there's not going to be any room for the enemy to plant those seeds of lust, hate, uh, if, you, if you see what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good stuff. Yeah, it, Jesus is serious about this stuff. Like he, he talks about if you're going to be in my kingdom, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you have to look at sin at the root. You have to deal with it. That, that's how serious it is to Jesus is, I mean, because go back to like the Garden of Eden, right? Like what was enough to doom humanity? It was eating an apple or whatever it was. I don't know if it was an apple. It could have easily been a watermelon. Like we don't know what fruit it was. <laughs> But was it just eating an apple? No, it was disobedience. That was the root. It was pride. It was arrogance. It was unbelief. These are the original core sins, right? The sins of pride, the sins of unbelief, of not trusting God, of disobedience to him. Like these roots can grow to a point in our lives where it can just get out of control. So yeah, I think it's good practice for anybody who's a part of the kingdom of God to take heavy stock of the sins in their life and start thinking about the root. Reflect on your own darkness. Take the time to look at your sin and be honest with yourself and, and honest with God about it. And that's something that I need to do. That's something that we all need to do on a regular basis is not just have times of prayer where it's God, help me with my problem. God, help me with my issue. We need to have regular times of prayer where we're bringing our sin before the Lord and saying, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This like help me get to the root of this, Jesus. Help help me pull this stuff up by the roots. Kayla, do you have any questions? I do have a question. Sweet. So my question kind of takes it back to the basics a little bit. One thing I found really helpful and appreciate a lot when I was in Bible college was when our teachers would kind of pull it back and 
go from the beginning, explain what we're going over as if I've never heard it mm. before. So my question when looking at the kingdom advancing in my heart rather than my own like interests is what does it mean to take part in this kingdom? And why is it so important that I choose that rather than my own desires and my own interests? That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Cause it's like, if you're somebody who let's just say we're explaining this, like to somebody who's has no idea really what we're talking about. It's like, well, what is like, what is the kingdom of God? Who is Jesus? Like, it, was he just a rabbi? Was he just a teacher? Is it just kind of like, uh, to be a part of the kingdom of God is to just listen to the ethical teaching? Like, is Jesus our guru and our life coach? And, and to be a part of that kingdom is to, to just listen to what he has to say. And, and I would say like a hard no on that. So what it comes down to for me is you have to go back to the beginning of the entire story. God creates humanity. He creates people. He essentially creates a kingdom. He puts people on earth. He's the king. And they're not just citizens. They're actually like princes and princesses. The, the, the idea was for humans to rule the earth with God. There's a rebellion. There's spiritual beings, angels, uh, fallen angels that we call demons who rebel against God. And they trick the humans. They go to the humans and they basically say, don't listen to God. Like he's, he's keeping stuff from you. He's keeping knowledge from you. If you listen to us, like we will actually show you what the truth is. And so humans listen. And what it does is it corrupts humanity. So the world becomes poisoned and God's people, his children get ripped from him. Like the family gets separated. And so it's like, God has this choice. Like, what is he going to do? Does he just blow up this planet? Cause now it's infested with sin. Like, it's not just like, Oh, humans disobeyed. I'm mad. It's literally like Pandora's box has been opened and it's like sin, rebellion, wickedness, like the potential for humans to, to hurt one another, to murder one another, to kill, to rape, to steal and destroy all of this stuff gets unleashed. Like that's what we're dealing with. Does Jesus, does God, does the Holy spirit, do they just blow up the planet and start over? No, Jesus is so committed to his kingdom and his people that he's like, I am not going to stop until I save them and I rescue them. And so the story of the Bible, the story of the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament is about that kingdom. It's about the kingdom that was lost and it's about winning that kingdom back. And so like, look at the world, like whoever, if you're, whoever's watching this, like look at the world, do we see a broken world? Do we see corruption? Do we see sexism? Do we see abuse? Do we see racism? Do we see war, violence, all of this stuff? Yeah, we see it like right now at the current time of this recording, Afghanistan has been overtaken by a terrorist group that, that's going around killing women and children and, and actually hunting down and murdering Christians and all this terrible stuff. Like that's the world we live in. It's full of violence. It's full of hatred. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize that. And so the kingdom of God is the opposite of that. Basically, the story of the Bible is about the way the world was supposed to be. We see that broken and it's about getting that back. So to be a part of the kingdom of God is not just like, yeah, just live a good life, read your Bible and pray, and then you'll die and go to a mystical cloud land. No, like it's the world was supposed to be a certain way. Jesus tells us that he is going to actually rescue and restore the world and bring it back to the way it always was supposed to be. But even though we're waiting for him to do that, he's like, I have created this crazy paradigm where because of what I've done on the cross, if you 
accept me as your king, if you ask me into your life, if you allow my Holy Spirit to fill you, you can actually live the way that people were always supposed to live. So being a part of the kingdom is, it's not like this, it's not this idealism of like, oh, Jesus has these high standards and my life is now dedicated to trying to reach those high standards. It's like, no, the the spirit of God actually fills you and makes you a new kind of human that is able to live the way that Jesus and God always intended humans to live, even though we're currently in this broken world. So to me, that's like why the kingdom of God is so important because I don't want to live the way that the world does. I don't want to live in, in violence and abuse and, and all of this stuff. Like I, I don't want to let my soul get corrupted by the influence of that stuff. I am, I am living towards something that's coming. This this future kingdom. And I'm, I'm living in excitement about it. I'm living in hope about it. And, and knowing what that kingdom is, knowing that that's where I'm headed and that's what the world is going to be reborn into, it informs how I live now. And it, ge- it gives me this hope where it's like, yes, like <laughs> this is awesome that, that one day there will be no more war. There will be no more sexism, racism, abuse. Like this stuff is all going to be washed away. And, and I have the power through Jesus to live that way now. And of course, I'll, I'll make mistakes along the way. I'll fall on my face. I'll mess up. None of us as followers of Jesus will ever be perfect, but we have hope like in a perfect one where when we mess up, we're not just left to our own failures, but he like picks us up and allows us to walk with him. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but that that's, that's what gets me excited about it. That to me represents the importance of the kingdom of God. It's, it's not just ethical teachings. It's not just feel good theology. It's literally like God is going to rebuild the world and he wants us to start being a part of that process now. How's that? Yeah, I think that answered it. And like laying out what I guess the kingdom of God is kind of answers the second half of that question of why it's so important. Because when you know what it is, when you know the intent, like it to me is clearly like a better way. So Hmm. I thought you answered it well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because yeah, the alternative is just insanity. Yeah. Like to just live to just live for ourselves. Like if if you live for the earthly kingdom, let's say that you go out and you get the most money. Let's say you're Jeffrey Bezos and you have so much money and you can fly to space on a rocket and come home and continue to run your factories and just have so much money coming in that you could literally end homelessness if you wanted to. <laughs> You're still, you're like, when you die, you are still going to hell. Like you're still separated from God for eternity. Your treasures, your riches won't last. Nothing lasts. And you're still left with your own sin nature. You still don't have an answer for the sins you've committed. Like you still don't have anything that can save you from the darkness in your own heart, which is something that every human deals with, no matter how good they seem on the outside. And so, yeah, it's just the kingdom of God is, it's, it's, it's a revolutionary way to live. And, and, and in my mind, it's the only way to live. And it's, it's like, it's, this is why evangelism is so important. Like we're not just asking people to believe something and then go to a disembodied spirit realm when they die. We're inviting people to be a part of what God is doing in rebuilding the, the heavens and the earth. So yeah, hopefully that. Hopefully that makes sense. Really good question. Really quick, I'm seeing if there's one other person that was going to join us late, but I don't know if she's going to make it. These are really good questions, guys. 
Any uh, any other questions uh, before we go on to the next video or any just any discussion points anyone wants to jump on about anything? I mean, really go for it if you if you want to. Yeah. Kit, Kit, can I say something in response to you? Kit? Your your question maybe because you were asking like, why is it important, and I, I, I'm assuming you're saying why is it important for Christians? Is that what you were getting at, or just for people in general? I mean, it applies more so to Christians, but I think in general yeah. too. I, yeah. I was answering from the perspective of I'm, I'm trying to communicate this to somebody who like doesn't know anything. Yeah, you know, so like a, a non non-believer but but for also for a believer as well who has a very surface level understanding yeah and uh, for especially if you're saying you know why is it for a christian why is it important to be you know a part of this rescue movement to be a part of you know the the kingdom of god and to be active in advancing the kingdom of god and i would say well honestly that's what it means to be a christian like like when we talk about the gospel you know what is the gospel we can tend to over it's really important, but we can tend to overemphasize that Jesus died for my sins part and underemphasize that Jesus is sitting on the throne part. Because, you know, mm-hmm. what did Jesus preach? He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. So the fundamental mm-hmm. element of the gospel is that Jesus is on the throne. And so mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want to be a part of, you know, his rescue movement, you want to be a part of his kingdom, he needs to be your king. You, know, you mm-hmm. need to be under his lordship, under his authority. Yeah. So really, you know, being a Christian is being a, a part of this movement, being a part of the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's so good. And I think, I think that for those of us who feel called in any way to ministry, it's really important that we understand exactly what Zach just said. Discipleship is not just about getting people to a place where they pray a prayer. It's about getting people to a place where they understand Jesus is Lord and they actually live that way. And it takes, it takes, oftentimes a long time for someone to get to that point. You can be a Christian for your whole life, but it can take, it can take a while before you actually fully start to embrace Jesus as Lord and not just as your, your personal get out of hell free card. And I personally think God's grace uh, is big enough that he, there's a lot of people out there that are Christians, but not truly followers of Jesus, if that makes sense. They're saved, but they're not really walking with Jesus. They're not really treating him as Lord and master. And I, I, I think that those people in, in, in my view would still be saved, but they're missing out on what God has for them, like on the potential of the kingdom. And so I, I think for those of us in ministry, we have to move past that, that perspective of I need to get people saved and, 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 and say, yeah, that's step one, but I need to get people discipled. I need to get people to the point where they look at Jesus as their actual Lord. So one question that you asked in the video was, do we really think he's Lord and King? And it made me think of this phrase that was kind of thrown around a lot at Bible College, but it was just the saying that he's either Lord of all or not at all. Mm. And so it kind of begs the question of like, are we really submitting to him and obeying him in all areas of our life or just oh, on Sunday mornings or, you know, with my friends, this or that, but it's, it's either all or not at all in a sense. And that sounds kind of severe, but I think it does put it in perspective of if he's going to be king, if he's going to be on the throne, then he's going to be on the throne fully, not in just one area or another. Mm, that's really good. So that kind of that question made me think of that a little bit. I love that. That's really good. I, I think it all goes back again to the heart posture, because I don't think any one of us can truly say that we're fully 100 percent right. surrendered to the Lord, because as much as we'd want to be, we all have our flesh. There's all still parts of our old man pulling at us. 
And so that's what sanctification is in the scriptures. It's this idea of becoming more like Jesus, more holy. Holy doesn't mean perfect in the context of humans. Not We can't be perfect, but to be holy is to be set apart for God's purposes. So sanctification is that process of becoming more holy, more set apart, uh, more refined, more in Jesus's image. So I think it has to go with heart posture. If you have a heart posture where you wake up in the morning and you go, Jesus, help me with my problems. Like that's one way of looking at it, but far better to wake up in the morning and go, Jesus, help me become more like you. What can I surrender that I haven't surrendered yet? What can I lay down that I haven't laid down yet? How can I submit? How can I make you more Lord of my life? You know, that that's not the mindset a lot of times as Christians we grow up in. It's like Jesus is our genie and he's not our king. So we need to get him out of the bottle and onto the throne, I guess. 